filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster So we were talking about having a cold open, and Jason, you got some snow coming your way. Thank you, folks. I'll be here all week. I don't think I have any more snow coming my way than then, and maybe like one inch more than you're going to get. Oh, you're only in like the two-inch range? Yeah. Uh, I'm, okay. I do not live in Ocean City, Maryland. Um, well, I thought Annapolis was, was supposed to get clobbered pretty good. No. Or not, you know, clobbered, but, you know, three or four inches. No. Yeah, we'll see. No. I'm, I am... Super disappointed that there's this massive storm just out of reach and we're going to get no snow here. I want to take my daughter sledding so badly. I want to trudge down to the Capitol grounds and go sledding at the Capitol. That is what I wanted from this winter. And uh, this this long-term cold pattern that's just going to get worse after this tease of a storm. And I, it's a real storm. Don't get me wrong. It's just not going to hit D.C. Um but but it's just going to get colder and it's it just feels like a waste of cold weather to not have any snow and our friends in uh, our friends in Norfolk are probably getting 8 to 12 yeah. inches yeah, if you're on the which if you're on the ocean you're screwed yeah and i i think Norfolk is the probably the hardest hit place as far as snow i think Savannah got some crazy ice in Charleston got some crazy ice but as far as snow yeah. i i think Hampton Road, or, yeah, is is going to be um, except for like yeah, Maine, it's going to be hit harder than anything south Maine. of Massachusetts. Yeah, like Cape Cod is going to it, it might get blown away. They're going to have like seventy mile an hour winds on Cape Cod from this yeah. storm. Yeah, I think they have a, a like a gale, a blizzard warning, and a gale force winds warning for uh, Norfolk, which is just silly for. Uh, January. Yeah, it's funny. They're not even calling it a nor'easter. Here this is are. another category of storm <laughs> beyond nor'easter. Right. Right. Can I tell anyway, you guys? You know we're old because we're talking about the weather. Um, I, as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, am still uh, the defending sledding champion uh, on a Coast Guard base uh, on uh, Cape May, or not Cape May, um, Cape Cod. Well, all right. You got to give more details about this. One of my friends from high school, his dad was in the Coast Guard and got restationed up to whatever that base is called uh, the first year. So 2000. So this is my freshman year of college. Um, And at winter break, me and two of my friends drove up to hang out for a few days with our high school buddy. And the base, as some sort of make work project, had dug out this tremendous sledding hill in the woods they'd removed the trees they lined it with hay bales um they put up two lighting rigs across the street so it was well lit uh, at any hour and one night we went out and had a long sledding competition that involved a group stage as well as a championship uh <laughs> that was settled it required a second runoff because the um the championship round basically there was like a hook were these in heats the one-on-one heats 
These were one-on-one hit, heats. Uh, everyone on a boogie. Everyone had a equivalent boogie board, um, and basically the whole thing hinged on. There was a hook, so you kind of go straight and crash into some hay bales, and then have to scramble and get on back on your sled, and then get out in front again. Um, but uh, in the first championship, I was clearly going to be out in front and winning. So my my friend Aaron grabbed me by the ankle and pulled me off my sled. So I tumbled <laughs> onto him and made sure he fell off of his, and then pushed him into the snow and then ran across the finish line on foot, um, which the other three participants deemed uh, not a legal win, even though they understood that. Uh, I had not initiated the cheating. They said, you can't win just on foot. You've got to have your sled with you. Um, So we did it again with no uh, grabbing or tackling of any kind allowed. And the same, it was the same outcome without, except without cheating. Um, And so I was the 2000, I guess it was 2001, uh, 2001 uh, sledding champion of that base uh, as I declared myself. Um, And that night I invented a drink called the victory special, which is not a good drink. Uh, uh, because I was a uh, 18 year old who did not know how to use booze correctly, um, and so I just put a bunch of triple sec in some root beer. No, and drank that. Jason, it freshman in special. college, Jason. Yes, it was a victory special, um, and you only drink it after a victory. You can't have it at other times. No, that sounds like punishment. Victory special. That sounds like. No, that sounds like you're like uh, uh, unfurling the, the sails of the punishment barge and setting yeah. sail into into the punishment sea. Everyone listening, the next time DC United wins a title, find Ben Bromley and buy him a victory special. I'm going to slap it out of your hand and onto the ground. That would be Dude, very cruel to our listeners. Rude. That would be so rude, Ben. Don't buy me triple second root beer. Victory special. It's that easy. Good luck getting a bartender to make it. Yeah. Um, that's the the first step is a good bartender will be like, I'm not making that for you. I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. Um, but if you do find a bartender who's like, sure, go ahead. Knock yourself out. Acquire this drink. It was Bark's Root Beer specifically, and it was not any particular brand of Triple Sec. It was just what was there. I didn't know what Triple Sec was. Um, <laughs> I just it their house had a fully stocked bar, and we were told as long as we didn't go driving, we could uh, drink a, a good deal of it. And so. And you chose triple sec? We didn't know. We were learning about all the stuff, and this was just the newest thing to learn. Um, it does have the word triple in it. Yeah, it was there, basically. is <laughs> the, the real reason is that it was there. And I was like, hey, what's this one? And uh, Bark's Root Beer and Triple Sec, Victory Special. <laughs> was there a particular ratio? Uh, a lot of triple sec. Yeah, I, 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 did, I did have the wherewithal to read that it was not as high of a proof as other liquors. Um, so I figured, you know, you needed to add some more than a normal amount. But as far as it, other than that, I was, I was not, uh, there was not even really an eyeballing other than add a lot. I think it was my junior year in college at Purdue. We had a big snowstorm. Um, and my roommate and I, he had, for some reason, he wasn't a skater. I wasn't a skater. But in our apartment, there was a deck, uh, a skateboard deck that had no wheels on it. All the hardware had been removed. We said, we're going to take this outside and we're going to snowboard without um, clips oh, or anything. Yeah. And uh, there, there are some pretty big hills in yeah. Lafayette. And we lived pretty close to the river. So um, we took advantage of, of some of those and made some mistakes. We were lucky to have been uninjured during um 
there were some stairwells that we survived going down as well. That's yeah. I did not go to that far. I just had there was a nice grassy hill. Um, yeah, we we had concrete at the bottom, but we survived. It was a big snow. <laughs> ben, what stupid things have you done in the snow? Um, <coughs> sorry, uh, I'm getting over a cold, so I apologize for my deaf sounds. Um, I haven't done that much stupid stuff in the snow just because I don't like the snow that much. So I just try to stay away from it. No, it's dumb. I came to the South to get away from snow. It's like, I understand all the words you're saying, but I don't understand where you're coming from at all. I don't understand what you're trying to say. Snow is bad. these words do not make sense in the order you are saying them. I don't want to know. Heretic. That's all I can say. can also say, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and snow-loving podcast. Incorrect. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by the heretic Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com. We cover DC United. And lots more in the world of soccer. Uh, Tonight we are talking about DC United and somewhat more in the world of American soccer. Um, It's just kind of a semi-free-for-all episode. We have some things we're going to talk about that I have a list of. And we may stick to it. We may not. We may get to everything. We may not. Before we find out, though, Ben, what does a heretic drink tonight? Well, I mean, my drink is not very complimentary on me because it is something a heretic would drink. Um, It's flat champagne is what I'm drinking. (laughs) Cooks? Is it Cooks? No, it's not Cooks. We are a Corbell family, Jason. (laughs) Good God, Ben. Why? So it's okay. Ben and I had this exchange on New Year's where it concluded with me just yelling Cooks at Ben. (laughs) And me having previously yelled, we're a Corbell family. Um, yes. So we put my daughter to bed at like eight, and then we drank a nice bottle of sparkling rosé. And that was nice. My wife and I split it. And then uh, when it came around to like 11.30, 11.45, we popped the cork on the Corbells because we wanted to have something for, uh, to, to cheers at, New- at midnight. And... Midnight came around, we cheers, we drank a little of the Corbel, and it is so carbonated that it just, like, assaults your mouth. It is, like, it's not even worth the $10. I probably would have been better off going with Cooks, because no. it is just Are so you carbonated. Are you a like, Corbel family? We, like, we put, uh, the, our wine stoppers wouldn't fit in the, uh, Corbel bottle, so we just put saran wrap with a, uh, rubber band on the top of it, and it's still carbonated today. That's how carbonated it was. It had that much carbonation to lose that it is still carbonated. So it's not three totally days later. Flat. This almost sounds like no, it's not flat. It's just old. You said flat. This sounds like you well, should have tied yeah. a bottle to your back and and popped the the cork and seen if you could get off the ground from the uh, the launching power. That probably would have been a better use of it. <laughs> Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I went to the... I was 
my mom got herself a new car and I was helping her exchange her rental car. She was in a, a small accident. So she was exchanging her rental car. So she needed an extra driver. So I ended up near uh, a liquor store that I can't get to that often. Um, but the benefit of that is that this is a place that sells uh, the Technico Rudo line of tequilas that I always talk about. They were out, however, of all of their Technico and almost all of their Rudo. Um, and so I had to find something else uh, once I got there. So I ended up buying a bottle of El Padrino de Mi Tierra uh, Añejo, um, which I had never had before, but was a comparable price. And it was also, um, it had some good reviews online. So I figured I'd give it a shot. And uh, so far, I've just got it on the rocks. Um, so far, it's pretty good. It's got a very clean finish. Um, it's definitely a brighter flavor. It's not, I feel like it wasn't aged in, either it wasn't aged for as long or the barrels it was aged in were not as uh, good at conveying some sort of flavor. Um, it's not bad by any means. It's just, it's not quite the on the level of the Tequila <coughs> Tequilas. I, I, I've got mezcal mixed with some um, pineapple allspice shrub um, from from District Shrubs. And it sounds right up my alley. Yeah, just that and some I had, ice. I had pineapple for breakfast. Oh, nice. I, I was yeah. drawing a blank on what to, to make um, given the weather and, and everything else. And I knew I wanted a spirit of some kind. I hadn't had mezcal in a while. And I saw the pineapple allspice shrub i said yeah why not that fits and it's it's pretty good the flavors work they they play pretty nicely together the smokiness of the mezcal with the acidity of the pineapple it it really works and then the allspice gives it a nice wintry feel to to smooth it all out so it uh Mm -hmm. yeah great success do not give me a victory special a nice wintry feel like dc united's wintry moves was that an attempt at a segue benjamin I mean, it would have been a segue if you hadn't commented on <laughs> Which it. Which is why I called it an attempt at a segue. But the attempt, it, it becoming an attempt is actually your fault, not mine. And? I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> your stubbornness is greater than my own as far as dead air. Let's talk news. Um, Is it an Adam's Fun Time News Roundup time? If you want it to be. Do you want it to be? <laughs> yes. Then then call it out, Ben. I just, I just did. We'll call it out again. I want I want it declarative, not uh, questioning. Hey, kids, it's Adam's Fun Time News Roundup time! I feel like asking for declaratory was a mistake. DC United uh, signed yet another... Midfielder this week, uh, Venezuela international Junior Moreno ha- has signed 24 year old central midfielder uh, out of the Venezuelan league. Made his debut for uh, Venezuela's national team against the U.S., uh, assisting in that game and scored his first goal. Uh, the I think later in the week, um, played in some World Cup qualifiers after that, including essentially man marking. Somebody um, looking at my notes here, a guy named Lionel Messi uh, was, was his assignment. Um, apparently, he's some kind of big deal in Argentina. I don't know. Uh, so he he comes in 
sounds like he's a number six, maybe number eight type. Uh, supposed to be good with the ball, supposed to be a good tackler. Um, somebody who could fit in next to or for Knaus in, in the lineup. Um, maybe a little bit more deep lying than, than Ulysses Segura, who we talked about last week. But, uh, you know, the, the central midfield now has these two guys, Ian Harks, Knaus, obviously. Jared Jeffrey looks further and further to the uh, outside looking in. Plus, you know, we've got Lucho in that number 10 spot. So, uh, Ben, what do you make of these central midfield moves this offseason? Yeah, I think this is another uh, really good move. Uh, the central midfield depth was severely lacking last year. Um, when DC United was starting, Marcelo Sarvas and Jared Jeffrey down the stretch, that just wasn't a good situation. And Russell Knaus came in and that uh, improved uh, the defensive midfield position. But more depth and more competition is always needed. And so uh, Ulysses Segura is going to uh, compete at the number eight and the number 10. Uh, Junior Moreno is going to compete at the defensive midfield and the box to box midfielder. And so everybody has to earn their spot every day. And we're pretty sure that Russell Knauss is going to be the starter on opening day, but it's now with these moves, it's not guaranteed if he gets, he could get outperformed by uh, one or both of these uh, internationals. And so, the best, like we've always said, the best East United teams are when there is competition at every position, and they're doing a good job so far this offseason of making sure that there is competition at every position. One more name for the defensive midfield battle that, that we didn't mention is Chris Durkin, who, um, you know, we all want to see do well and advance. And he's a, he's a young homegrown signing for anyone who hasn't been paying attention for the last couple of years. Um, He's done well with Richmond and would be great to see him force his way into the lineup. It, that If he's starting, it's either very good or very not, probably, for DC United. Hopefully, it'll be the former. Uh, Jason, how do how do these moves fit in tactically for, for DC United? I, I've seen different things about these guys and where they, where they prefer to play and where they're best deployed. Um, I, I mean, I guess... The and I haven't seen Moreno play other than that U.S. friendly, which we were mostly watching for U.S. purposes. So um, I don't remember too much about him. I, d- I do remember the uh, the assist that he got wasn't a bad assist, and I, I was left with the impression that he was at least on the level of the players that were called in. That was a Gold Cup roster uh, pre pre Gold Cup camp. Um, so if he's at that level where he's uh, you know maybe not good enough to walk into the U S today, but he's good enough to make a January camp roster. That's still a pretty good MLS player. Um, but again, it's one game for the national team. And we've seen how that doesn't necessarily indicate what's coming your way uh, with Christian Castillo being principal in my mind when I say that. Um, but I, I will say that the stuff that I've read so far on Moreno is that um He's he's got the the right stuff, so to speak. He's he's made up of the right kind of things off the field, um, where you don't have to worry about him only applying himself when it's the national team and then backing off when it's club duty. Um, you know, I've heard that he's very uh, a very driven player. He's a very determined uh, player. Um, 
he's the kind of he's kind of player that might be thinking MLS might only be a stepping stone. Um, but in a way, that's good. You don't want the guys that are just like, well, I'm just going to go to MLS and that's as as high in the game as I'm going to get. Um, like Christian Castillo. Right. You, you want guys that are shooting for bigger things. Um, I, I did read some stuff that indicated that in the Venezuela setup, he's viewed more as a pure number six, um, which would mean if that's if that's the case and if that's how he fits in with this group in D.C., then – We'll have to look at, you know, I think Russell Canals could play the eight. I don't think he would have too much of a problem there. I think he's got the skill set. Um, we've seen him jump forward into the attack and create danger like once or twice a game. Um, now he'd have a little more responsibility for, to do that and a little less responsibility to stay home. Um, if he and Moreno could get the balance right, that's the whole key to any um, double pivot like that. You've got to get the balance right. But if they can come to an understanding quickly um, – I wouldn't have any issues with that. Um, and, and look, if, if, if it's those two uh, are managing to keep Segura and Harks and Durkin and Jeffrey off the field, that means the team is playing pretty well, I would assume, or at least pl- those positions are, are working out really well. Um, Moreno isn't the biggest defensive midfielder, but we've seen time and again in MLS that you don't have to be big. You just have to, you have to be tough. Um you have to be uh, durable. You have to be able to take a lot of punishment. It's it's a it's ironically it's the position that we tend to view as the most likely to kick someone, but it's also you often are the one getting kicked uh, as well. Um, so that angle, you know, uh, there there isn't. I I don't think I saw too much of a tendency to pick up yellow cards uh, in his. Um, and granted, I'm just looking at soccer way numbers or who scored numbers. I didn't see too many yellow cards listed for him. So. That's a positive. Um, the Venezuelan league has a bit of a reputation of being pretty physical. So if he could succeed in that league without having to just commit fouls left and right, that's a good sign. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see how that works out, whether he and Canals are directly competing with each other or if he's going to be the six and Canals will have to adapt to the number eight. Um, but, it, you know, like Ben's saying, it's, it's a really good thing to have that many. I mean, you know, as of today, I would think that Ian Harks might be the fourth out of those four guys, him, Segura, Moreno, and Canals. Um, if you've got that much depth where he's fourth, then that's saying something. Um, and that's, you know, we don't know where Segura is going to fit in. I, I do think that adding Moreno to that that defensive line in the midfield means that Segura is probably going to end up with more minutes um, as a right winger or as a number 10. Um, and, and I think there's also you got to look for balance. I mean, if Segura plays on the right, then he and Stieber are both going to be guys that kind of tuck in narrow. Um, and I don't think Ben Olsen wants that. I think he wants to have that where the the situation where he's got an out and out winger, and then he's got someone who tucks in. I think he would like to have one of each. Um, and I, I, you know, I of the two, I, I guess Segura is a little more inclined to provide that if if he and Stieber on the field at the same time, but either way, um, you know, that's kind of the idea of signing someone like Segura who can play four positions in that midfield is that, um, he's going to compete at all of those positions. And, uh, uh, you know, as far as just signing good play, when you're as bad as DC was last year, you just need to go find some good soccer players and sign them. Um, and Moreno on paper, um, and all the indications that are around should be a pretty good signing. 
Um, now, can he fit in with the rest of the group? Is are, are he and Canals compatible? That's a different issue that we'll find out pretty soon. We're not far from when we'll start to actually see these guys playing in preseason games. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting situation for sure because it's not necessarily um, what people have been looking for, but you've got to do the work. You've got to make the signings when the signings are available. And um, Moreno's reputation uh, is pretty strong. So hopefully this is one of those, you know, good get a guy early from South America before the European clubs are, are circling. A lot of teams in MLS this offseason have sa- signed uh, Venezuelan players. It seems like it's sort of like last year with Costa Rica. It's like that market got connected uh, a little more properly. And now all of a sudden uh, MLS clubs are getting a much better profile of what's there and making their moves because Vancouver signed a striker. Um, I think two or three other midfielders have been signed. The galaxy signed a defender from their national team. Um, so it's, a, it's four or five, I want to say in the last couple of weeks. So it's definitely um, something to look out for. Uh, I do know that, United, uh, they did go over the inter- their international roster uh, and spots. We'll, we'll get to that. Movie. We'll get to that. We don't have to. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Right. Um, before we do, though, uh, one spot that when we talk about DC United in their recent up years having competition uh, at every position, the one exception has really been goalkeeper because that's been Bill Hamid's spot and everyone knew it. Uh, Hamid obviously gone to Michelin and Steve Clark was in to take over. He might have some competition though. Uh, report today that uh, building on some rumors over the last week or two that DC United has traded for the rights to uh, former or outgoing Vancouver Whitecaps goalkeeper, David Usted, uh Danish player who would take up an international spot um, but who, if DC United can come to terms with him, might have the inside track, even over Steve Clark. Um, he had a down year last year, uh, replaced, I think, midway through the season uh, with Vancouver, but before that had been building a pretty sterling reputation in MLS. He was reportedly supposed to be going to the LA Galaxy this offseason, um, who were going to exercise his contract option for $600,000, give or take, uh, which puts him over the uh, salary maximum and would require either a DP spot or the use of TAM or GAM to buy his salary down below the uh, maximum cap hit. Uh, MLS TAM rules are, are pretty specific in when you can apply TAM to a player and trading for a guy... At, and exercising his option and then using TAM to buy it down is not one of the cases that it's allowed for. That's why it's called targeted allocation money is that it's only in specific cases that you can use it. Um, LA didn't want to use GAM general allocation money, OG allocation money. And so that deal fell through. Osted nevertheless pulled himself out of stage two of the reentry draft. And DC United has apparently sent something to Vancouver. We don't know what yet um, for his rights. Whatever they sent is probably contingent on him signing um, with the league and with DC United. 
I wouldn't but, say that. You, you, in MLS, you trade for rights all the time. Yeah, that's true. That's um, true. So I would right. say you make the trade, and then whether you sign him or not is your problem. Yeah, that's um, true. I, I could see it going either way because MLS clubs are, are getting a little savvier and more creative on conditions when they trade. Um, you're hearing more about, um, you know, if a player meets whatever benchmarks, like uh, the Darlington Nagby uh, trade had a ton of incentives based on Nagby's performance with Atlanta. And if he checks the boxes, then Atlanta has to send more to Portland for that. Uh, I I could see there being a trade that's contingent on a player actually signing. Um, that said, you're right. It's not, it, it might not be a case of probably it's a possibly here, but I, mean, I, f- I feel like it's going to be, they get his rights for something pretty cheap because he's not going back to Vancouver and that negotiations happen and he's, they may or may not sign him. Right. And if, if it's not contingent on his signing, I would expect Dave Casper to have sent something pretty nominal, Third round, fourth round draft pick, yeah. something like that. Maybe, maybe yeah. second. I mean, it's it's important to note that both teams kind of – it's one of the situations where no one really has very much leverage because everyone knows DC is in the market for a goalkeeper. Um, they've said as much. Every, it's a well-known fact. However, Vancouver having um, brought in Marinovich and then traded for Brian Rowe is also not in the market to keep David Osta. They can't um, – they They're can't. not going to resign him. They can't resign him. They've got no interest. In, like they have his rights, and that's it. Um, so they don't really have a lot to get over on people either. So um, I, I'm I'm not exactly sure what we're going to see here because I I feel like of the two low leverage teams, I think Vancouver still probably has a little more leverage than DC. But um, uh, yeah, you know. It shouldn't be that much. Uh, yeah, it also depends on the market. If, Cl- if Clint Irwin is still out there being not talked about by anyone, which is yeah. wild to me, uh, yeah. because I've been upfront about the fact that I would rather United pursue Clint Irwin than David Osted. Um, and I can't be the only person that thinks that way. And he's just backing up a young goalkeeper who's not going anywhere, who's Alex Bono's getting talk about uh, being one of the many potential. Uh, national team goalkeepers in, in the years to come. So he's not going to get displaced very easily. So Irwin, I mean, obviously, you know, the, these reports that are out there kind of point to United's not going to sign Irwin, but um, as long as he's in the league, as long as he doesn't sign abroad somewhere, then the market is kind of, there's always that extra thing. Like, well, we could also just call Toronto and see about Clint Irwin. Um, and Vancouver, unfortunately for them, has to respect that because that's a very real thing that you can say, like, look, we go get the other guy. Right. I um, just meant I don't know how many people are, are calling Vancouver about. Oh, probably Osted. a couple, yeah. I would think. Yeah, there'd be at least I a mean, couple, but nobody's offering much. With, so if yeah. at that point, it's, you know, it's not so much that they can hold out and try to put DC United over the world's smallest barrel. It's they DC United can pretty credibly say, you know, this is what we're willing to part with. And Vancouver right. just will take the best offer that they can because the alternative is getting nothing. Yeah, pretty much because um, if he were to go abroad, they would get nothing at all because there's no, there's no signing. There's no transfer fee. He's, uh, yeah. he's just out there. Exactly. Um, so so. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation for sure. 
In any event, Osted is currently unsigned, assuming DC United does have his rights. Um, his name goes alongside Gonzalo Verones, uh, both in the category of rights held but currently unsigned and in the category of international slots. Um, both players would take one up. DC United currently has one available. Uh, after we talked about it last week, trade. No, 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 no. They're, mi- they're minus one. Oh, they're minus they do one. They not have any available. Oh, yeah, yeah that's they're right. Minus one. They're minus one. Signing, yeah. signing yeah. Junior Moreno. That's Seguro right. Seguro was the fifth, and now Moreno is six. That's right. And they they have, have five spots. <laughs> they are currently oversubscribed. I misspoke. Yes. Um, you're right. So Steve Goff now, reported the, that there yeah. are. Uh, multiple slots coming back in the form of DC United players getting green cards. And when an international player gets that permanent residency, gets a green card, they no longer count as an international player. They become a domestic player. And that's not an MLS rule. That is a U.S. immigration and labor law rule. Is You have to treat green card holders as if they were American citizens when it comes to uh, employment stuff, broadly speaking. Um, that's not legal advice. Don't don't consider that anything like that. But in MLS and in many contexts, if you have a green have, card, you you are If you have questions about employment law, you might want to talk to our sponsors. Yes, and stick around for a message on not, that. Yeah, not us. Yeah. No. Do not talk to us about employment law issues. Uh so DC United, you know, let's assume two <laughs> spots are coming back before the, the season starts. That would put United back up into positive one territory, except yes. that there are these two guys that need to sign. If they both sign, right. <clears throat> excuse me, that puts DC United back into the red, a spot, and, you know, they'll, they'll have mean, to trade for one potentially. Right, but I feel like people are overestimating how difficult it is to get an international spot. As we've seen with what DC United trades international spots for, they're not that difficult to get. Especially, right, especially, especially early in, cl- in the offseason. As right. the season progresses and you're the only one shopping for an international slot and teams have filled them up because the, the summer window is is wrapping up and players become more players become available from Europe and South America during that time. I think that's when the price goes up a little bit is over the summer, but in the winter, that is yeah. when they are at their most plentiful and the lowest value. So especially in an expansion season, especially in an expansion season. That's exactly right. So but this is, this I, is something that's I, worth monitoring, but not worth fretting. If that makes sense. Right. right. I mean, as long as we're talking, I mean, the fact that it's more than one green card coming um, certainly helps because if it were just one, then it would be like, all right, DC is going to have to um, give up a lot to get everybody under the under the umbrella. Um, but as it is, um, if they've got two, and and by all accounts, unless there's something we don't know about, um, just looking at the players time served in United States, um, it would be Acosta and uh, Frederick Briand yeah. most likely getting theirs. They're, they've been in the U.S. for two-plus years, um, whereas Bruno Miranda just arrived, Zoltan Stieber just arrived. Um, it could be different. We don't know. We're not um, 
we're not treating something like we have a fact that we can't report, so we're treating it like right. Speculation. It could be that we're Stieber's, doing that. We genuinely it don't could know. be that Stieber's friends at the embassy uh, were really. Yeah. Really pushing the Maybe State they Department. Some strings. Yeah. They, Those guys were genuinely delighted to, to see They really it. were. Um, I can't emphasize it enough. Um, but yeah, uh, I think once you – if you bring those two, those two spots open again, um, obviously they're, if they're trading for David Osted, they're not just doing it for fun. It's to – with the intention of signing him. Um, it's a li- There's a little more to it than – picking their own in the re-entry draft, which is more of a let's take a flyer on the guy and see what happens feel to it. Um, I think they would be very happy to get Verone, but I don't think he's a player that they've said, if we don't sign this guy, we're screwed. Um, whereas they've kind of made it clear that uh, having a goalkeeper to compete with Steve Carg, a starting quality goalkeeper, I believe is the phrase that's been used. Um that's something that's like high on their to-do list. I don't think a Gonzalo Verón type player was necessarily a must. It was just like, hey, this is a pretty talented player that we could just grab right now, and there's nothing that – there's no cost And to also it. he um, helped the Red Bulls down the stretch, and we want to stop that. Yeah, and, and you know, there, we've we've talked about Verón before. It, it just um, – I get get the feeling that if push came to shove and it became, you know, the last week of February and they still don't have an international spot. Um, I mean, granted, if they get that far in the preseason and Verone hasn't signed, he'll probably have signed in Europe or wherever it is that he has the, his alleged uh, other options, maybe South America. Um, but yeah, I think if push came to shove and they, they decided that based on their plan, they could only sign one, they would probably sign Osted in, instead of Verone. But um, I also think that, they would probably really like to have both players because like, like I said before, when you have a, a year as bad as DC United had last year, you sign talented players uh, as often as you can. And now they've got the chance to sign two pretty good ones. Um, I personally, I think that if we entered the preseason today, I, I like I said, I would rather have Irwin over Osted, but I think that Osted is probably a, a probably, he probably has the edge on Steve Clark, even after David Osted had, by his MLS standards, a down year. Not a bad year, just a down year. Um, right. But I would still rate him as a head of Clark at this time. So this also leaves open the, the question of whether and when DC United will go after a, a big-name striker, which is something I know we've talked about and I've heard from other fans that I, pretty much everyone pretty, pretty much every day. Everyone, <laughs> this is something that is... Uh, high on people's priority lists, um, it, at least as far as fans go. And and we would hope it's high on Dave Casper and Ben Olsen's priority list as well. Um, like I said, worth monitoring the international slot situation, not worth fretting yet. It's still very early. I know the European transfer window is open, but the MLS transfer window is not even open yet. Uh, it won't be open for another month and change. So this is something that, that, Still has plenty of time to work out. Uh, Steve Goff today. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I'll just throw in one quick note. It's also probably something, judging from United's behavior in the past with transfer, uh, big big transfers, it's probably something that's going to develop out of, you know, we'll know, we'll start to hear rumors like a day before. Um, that's how the a, a lot of the summer transfers work. We didn't know Russell Canals was coming at all until it was like, oh, yeah, by the way. Um Paul Areola kind of bubbled up 
um, while there was all this other uh, talk about other players like Nigel DeYoung, like Gary Medell, these other moves just sort of bubbled up uh, a little more quietly, and then all of a sudden it was happening. Um, Zoltan Stieber was an, another one that, uh, in the haze of, of my memory, that, that one felt like it came about in the course of a couple right. hours. Of course, all of those um, happened at the so same this, time. <laughs> Right. So so a designated player striker, a big eye-catching striker signing, just because there's not one being talked about or just because the I think the last word in that uh, golf piece was that they're still in the market for one, um, just because there isn't a name being thrown about here, you know, a couple of weeks before the draft, we might find out like a couple of hours before they actually just announced the signing that this is happening because DC United definitely – plays things very tight to the vest uh, compared to the average MLS team. So it might just be, you know, as much as it's hard to be patient as a fan, it might be a situation where we just got to be patient. I, Steve Goff today, uh, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday night. Steve Goff reported some more details about DC United's 2018 schedule, um, specifically that, the number of home games that will not be at Audi field um, is going to be two. There was a chance it was going to be more. Apparently the league was originally going to give DC United three or four home games before that late June, early July opening of, of the new stadium on buzzard point DC United apparently successfully lobbied them to, to keep it down at two. We, we know the first one already it's going to be uh, against Houston on March 17th. Um, the venue hasn't been finalized yet. Goff is reporting that the second one will be April 14th against the Columbus crew. Also at a location TBD. He, he did throw in that the Maryland soccer plex is currently the front runner to host the season opener. So uh, tickets could be sparse for that. Uh, the, the plex has 5,200, I think capacity yeah. they might try to pack people into the beer garden at one end of the field to to up that by 20 or 30 but that's not a lot of people um right navy marine corps stadium in annapolis is the the top choice for the the second game it's a it's a bigger stadium that one will not have 30, any capacity 30 issues something, 30 something thousand and yeah as we record this it's uh wednesday and you may you will almost definitely hear the uh, definites by the time this is released because MLS is hoping to release their schedule on Thursday. Yeah. So Thursday, if we get this out early enough, we'll see. Allegedly. Uh, right. I will say MLS has done a pretty MLS good schedule good. is late because get the hashtag they've, trending now. They've yes. done a pretty good job this offseason. They were actually even like three minutes early on one of the things they had to announce. Um, and everything else has kicked off pretty much as schedule. There have not been any uh, – delays of the traditional sort with this league. So maybe actually be ready at two for this to actually happen. It's kind of, I know I'm tempting fate and now it's going to come out at like 10 30 PM. Well, but, the league uh, has scheduled a, a live broadcast or a webcast uh, at one thirty, um, which is just a scheduled release that, show. That's such a stronger roll of the dice, uh, against the fates. Um, yeah. I can only imagine having to keep that thing going for eight hours until the schedule comes out. Um, but that's why they don't put me on such a thing. I, I, I'm already feeling bad for Ariel Castillo. <laughs> she, 
She she will just throw it over to videos of goats. That's true. She is a noted goat a goat enthusiast. She is. She is. She is correct. Goat opinions. I wouldn't go that far. That's all I have for for this segment, guys. Anything you want to add before we we throw it over to our sponsor? Apparently, snow predictions are going up for Richmond as we speak. Well, now I'm going to go check to see what's happening for for DC. Of course, by the time anyone hears this, they won't be predictions. Uh, It'll be in the past, but damn it, I'm living in the now. Or the present. Or the present. If it's still snowing when people hear this, that'll be... That would be a major change from the forecast, so crossing fingers. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time for some non-DC United uh, MLS news. I, I refuse. <laughs> this was your idea. I know. I'm just being an ass. All right, as long as we're clear. <laughs> uh, big news earlier in the week. Sasha Kleschen traded to the Purple Lions of Orlando City for... You know, I wanted to say for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in TAM, but that's not right. <laughs> he was not traded for one hundred and fifty thousand. He was traded along with one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of targeted allocation money in exchange for the pair of Carlos Rivas and Tommy Redding, who are on their way to Jersey, presumably as we speak. Um, this I, I've seen a lot of consternation about this trade. A lot of head scratching. Why are number one, why is why why are the Metros trading their captain for the second year in a row? Last year, of course, they traded Dax McCarty for what seemed like a lot of allocation money, but in hindsight maybe wasn't. Um why are they sending allocation money with him? And are Carlos Rivas and Tommy Redding anywhere near worth the the risk they're they're both younger guys they both have high upside but arguably high upside but yeah i i think jason's reaction is is pretty reasonable yeah i mean 
Tommy Redding, I, I think there's still, he's only 20. He'll turn 21 later this month. I think it's like the, right after the preseason starts, he turns 21. Um, I think the Red Bulls have done a pretty good job of turning young center backs into viable players um, between what they do with their first team and what they do in the USL. Um, I think that is a good acquisition for them because Redding does need some coaching up um, given that as bad as Orlando's center backs was, were in the last couple of years, he hasn't been able to establish himself as a full-time starter. Um, so there's work to be done there, but I think he could be a worthwhile acquisition. Rivas is 23 and has not shown a single bit of, of improvement at the stuff he needs improvement. And he needs a lot of improvement. Um, I feel like the Red Bulls acquired him at least thinking, you know, broadly speaking, if they want to keep playing the same way and they just want to, uh, get younger, um, I think he's a replacement for Gonzalo Verón, but he is a downgrade from Gonzalo Verón. He is faster, but he has virtually no soccer intelligence whatsoever. Um, basically, if, if you queue up any any highlight reel of Carlos Rivas taking shots, you're just going to see him kicking the ball into the stands over and over again hard. He's going to kick the ball hard, but it's going to fly into the stands um, almost to the point of it not being a shot, but just a man kicking a ball with no discernible uh, idea behind it. Um, so, yeah, that's to me that it, it's perplexing because uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but the Red Bulls were pretty good down the stretch. They figured out they, the reason they were only in sixth was because of their inability to succeed earlier in the year. They got better as the year went on. Um, and in another season, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips puts Toronto FC out uh, in the playoffs. So, um, But Jason, I was told that play your kids is a is the best strategy for winning in MLS no matter what. Or apparently playing other people's kids. Or other people's kids. Playing any kids well, yeah. is the best strategy ever. I mean, the Red Bulls definitely want to get super young, though tellingly, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips is, I believe, 33 this year. And how old is Felipe? Well, Felipe is actually younger than you think. Um, Felipe is like 25. He came to MLS very right. young. Um, but Aurelio, how, but how, how old is he in jerk years? Uh, Ageless. I don't, I don't think jerks are measured in years. They're measured – it's just like a difference between length versus volume. Um but uh, I was going to say Aurelian Collin is, I believe, 31 and has already shown some pretty significant uh, injury-prone tendencies. Felipe is um, 27 Yeah, Wikipedia. So hey. they're getting younger. They're definitely trying to get younger. And, and on some level, I understand why they have to get young because the way they play is, as we've seen with Sporting Kansas City, if you sell out to be an all-out all high-press team home and away um, for 34 games in a league where you have to travel as much and endure a summer like you do in MLS, you need younger players because older players just will not be able to play at their best for that amount of time. Um, so I understand on paper why they're trying to get younger, but question was the perfect player to be the number 10 in their system. Um, it was the perfect marriage of player and system, and they're not I don't think they're going to find a replacement for him. I also don't think he's going to be as good in Orlando. Um, but I think he's going to be better off than the Red Bulls are in this trade, notwithstanding the acquisition of a player who needs a lot of development and a player who just is 
doesn't appear to have being good in his uh in his future. Um yeah, I, and the fact and the fact that they had to throw in money to make it happen. Um I think that this is the second year in a row that they've kind of I think they are overestimating their ability to turn good prospects into great players. And I think it's going to cost them. I, I tweeted this earlier today. I don't think the Red Bulls are going to the playoffs in 2018. I think this is the losing their chance creator a year after losing their best defensive midfielder. This is how they end up uh, turning a year to year supporter shield contender into a team that finishes seventh or eighth. They very, very nearly did that this past year. They were playing well at the end of the year, but they, they, were the last team into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Um, and I think the only Eastern Conference playoff team not to finish ahead of the first place team in the West. Last year was weird, man. Yeah. Uh, sticking with Orlando for a moment, uh, Dom Dwyer re-signed there for uh, three years. Uh, totally coincidentally, Kyle Lahren linked with both Borussia Mönchengladbach in Germany and... Uh, I think Besiktas in Turkey. Is it Besiktas or Galatasaray? I've heard uh, Besiktas, but okay. the same team, just different pronunciation. Okay. Well, no, either way. Besiktas. Okay. Whatever the pronunciation, uh, not Gala. But, but I've, heard, I've, I've heard that Mönchengladbach is now in the lead. Right. I've seen oh, both of them ha- being in the lead at various times. Either way, it, it looks like Kyle Aaron is out the door. Orlando going to be getting some cash for that uh, transaction. Um, Dom Dwyer is going to be the guy down there in Orlando, and he's going to have Sasha Question feeding him. He, the guy who used to feed Dom Dwyer, Benny Failhaber, is no longer with Sporting Kansas City, um, breaking late this afternoon. Failhaber is on his way to central Los Angeles to, to pair up with Bob Bradley, his former national team manager. Um, LAFC sending $200,000 in GAM, another 200000 in TAM to the Sporks for Benny. And he's going to be their, their first ever you know, attacking central midfielder, it looks like. Um, what do you make of that move? Jason, Benny Failhaber going out there to L.A. We don't know what that team is going to be exactly at this point, but yeah, I believe that brings them up to like eight or nine players. And like three of those guys are um, very, very young, like 19 year old unknown prospect types. Um, so on the plus One side, of is Carlos Vela. Yes. A, a different player is Carlos Vela, who we know a little <laughs> bit more about. Um, I mean, on the plus side for. um for Bradley is uh, he's used in the past. He used Benny Philhaber as a central player and with the national team, he used him um, out wide in a sort of, um, I should say wide in scare quotes because he preferred that box midfield. Um, right. what, what was called the empty bucket, but now has become a four, two, two, two. I think in right. that parlance has become more common. They're the same thing. That's what the empty bucket was. More or less, uh, I, but but Phil Howard played a little bit to the, you know, a little out wide, but then also sometimes down the middle, um, really down the middle. Um, so as far as him moving to a club where uh, he'll be appreciated, I'm sure Bradley has big plans for him. I think the one 
caveat that I'd put forward for Failhopper is that he's 33 this year. Um, he's had his share of injuries in his career and his production is going down remarkably. His last season, he got, I think it was five goals and three assists for sporting Kansas city. Um, so I understand why Kansas city was trying to move on. I'm not Kansas city signed a random guy from the Belgian league. Um, that doesn't look like he's going to live up to Benny Philhaber's past. Um, but I also do understand why they were like, we've got to move on here because it's, I, maybe a sign that Kansas City is starting to understand the limitations of the way they play. Um, it means they have to move past older players earlier. Um, Phil Hubbard, I, I don't know what we're going to get out of him. Uh, what we're going to see in, out of him in, in 2018, partially because I don't know what uh, LAFC's plans are, but also like I don't know how much gas there is left in that tank. Um, and that would be my major concern if I were an LAFC fan is like, can this guy be the guy? Because we also know Fairhaber doesn't exactly – with the national team, he was never really a, a problem. But at the club level, he's not exactly the kind of player who you say, hey, guess what? You're not going to be a starter. And he just, you know, takes it as a – at the um, with the utmost professionalism. He's someone that has had reports of sulking a little bit and not necessarily being the best uh, – not so much as to his teammates, but to the coaching staff. He's not exactly big on respecting them if he feels like he's been disrespected. Right. He strikes um, me as the guy who it, it really comes down to how he feels um, about the the coaching staff and his relationship, particularly with the, the manager, head coach, whatever term you want to use. Right. He was never a problem with Bob Bradley's national team. He was an issue in New England, but got on the bus in, in sporting or in Kansas city, like he and Vermees got each other and, and he, he was great for, for the sporks for several years. So I think I, Bob Bradley, I think is taking a calculated risk here because he has that relationship with fail So I think that makes some sense. Ben, my question to you is which move between fail and question, because these are two guys who were somewhat inexplicably left out of the national team for a long time. And there was a debate when they finally did get back into camp. It was at the same time. And there was a debate about which one should be preferred. So which move do you like? Um, I guess just just looking at the acquisition of of Kleston in Orlando and Failhaber in L.A., who you got? I mean, especially with the fact that Bob Bradley is in L.A., I prefer the Benny Failhaber acquisition. Um, I feel like Kleshton is a good player, but he's good on highlights. But if you watch a full game of him, you see how many times he tries stuff and it doesn't work out. And then when it's clipped into a highlight package, you just see the two or three times where what he does does work out. And I feel like Failhaber... While still prone to that sort of thing, I think with Bob Bradley and in that situation, I think he's going to do a little better. And I feel like he provides a more mercurial creativity that's going to be unexpected and, and just weirder and more and more suited to that team in L.A. And they're. He's uh Kleshin's only a year younger than uh Failhaber is, so they're both gonna be coming against the same physical limitations in the near future. So for me, 
give me Benny Fail Hubbard and Bob Bradley over uh, Sasha Kleschen and and Jason Kreis. Well, if you're if you're putting Bob Bradley in versus Jason Kreis, I think that that heavily I mean, skews that, the that, argument that, in your favor. That's part of it. You, you, you've got to p- take the player and the coach the, the, that they're being coached by. You can't just have a player in a vacuum and just floating in a in a plasmatic uh, orb. This is a podcast. We can do whatever we damn well please when it comes to plasmatic orbs. Jason, which plasmatic orb are you taking? Uh, I'm going to go with um, with question. Um, I think his track record of the last three years is much more consistent. Um, I believe he led has led MLS in chance creation over that time, not just in assist, but just the sheer volume of chances he created. Um, and some of that is product of system. Um, a lot of it is product of system, quite frankly. Um, but what I saw out of him last year was a player who still has two or three more years of close to that caliber of play. Um, now, is he going to match that in Orlando? No, I don't think so. Um, certainly with Kyle Lahren on his way and Jason Christ didn't seem exactly sure what to do with Dom Dwyer last season either. Um, but the, I contrast that with Benny Failhubber. I, I think Failhubber is going to hit the ground running because he's, he's going to have that chip on his shoulder against Kansas City. He's going to feel like, oh, they didn't want me around. I'll show them. But that doesn't fuel you for an entire year. Um, and it certainly doesn't fuel you in the years to come. Um, I don't, I think, Failhaber is more of a one-year-only acquisition, um, and I don't know how much he's actually going to put up that in this year. Um, so I think on a consistency basis and looking for, you know, when you're acquiring players who are over 31, um, you do, like, how much is left in the tank becomes a major thing. And for me, Question looks far more able to sustain his play for an entire season, whereas... Benny Failhubber, I think, is going to be – I think he's going to regress as the season goes on and will be back to where he was at the end of this past season where Kansas City deemed him expendable. So for me, the better player uh, to to acquire in a vacuum is going to be Kleshton. Um Yes, Bradley's definitely the better coach, but, uh, you know, I think if, if – I, I, I am interested to know, I, I guess I'm kind of going off topic, but I am interested to know whether, because um, Clushton made his first real impression in MLS playing for Bob Bradley's Chivas USA teams. Um, and I do wonder if LAFC made a approach about both players and then maybe the price tag was lower on Failhaber, or if Bradley straight up pursued Failhaber and said, no, out of these two, the one that I want is Benny Failhaber, and that's that. That would be – I don't think Bradley will ever let anyone know, but I would be very interested to find out one way or another if he considered both players or if he just said, no, we're going with Phil Hubbard and that's that. So it's – it's, it's a close decision to, to my mind. And Ben, your point about Bob Bradley does make sense. I think Phil Hubbard could end up better next year than he was last year um, just by virtue of having – a guy like Carlos Vela or whoever else LAFC gets who can put the ball in the net because there was nobody on sporting Kansas city last year who could score with any reliability, especially after they traded uh, Dom Dwyer, which was a decision that 
feels a lot like this Sasha question trade. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens on that question. I think Ben to respond to your criticism about his, his penchant for trying stuff. I think that was, that was the Red Bull system is um, just a high volume of, of through balls. And some of them are going to come off and, and I know we've talked about it in the past on this show. Question is is a different kind of number ten in that he doesn't make the really intricate passes. He makes simple passes in an advanced position, and he makes them with a high degree of reliability. And that's a different sort of creature to what Jason Kreiss has had. And I wonder whether that will gel with Dom Dwyer in Orlando. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how those two guys fit together. They both have a, a good work rate and they they might fit magically well together or they might not. I'm not sure. And I don't know that I trust Jason Christ to get that balance, to, to get that chemistry, that alchemy uh, right. So I'm, I'm not going to break the tie. I'm going to leave it as a tie because that's my prerogative. Okay. Let, let the but record I, show... I, let the record show that Adam uh, brought in the coach thing that was not on the table before and that I purposefully ignored. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't it's, it's not just the coach thing. It's the rest of the roster too. I think, I think Benny could be better served and, and be a better asset with better pieces around him um, on the attacking side. And I think that LAFC is likely to, to have that when the season gets going. I don't know that they will be at Atlanta's level, um, which is in a ridiculously high bar for an expansion team, but I know that they're aspiring to that and Carlos Vela is pretty good. So if, if each of their owners puts forward $10, they'll have more money than Atlanta ever. Spent <laughs> because LAFC is actually owned by literally every person who lives in greater Los Angeles. Including the Galaxy fans. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Josie. Somehow it's true. You own the team that is probably going to displace your your, your original team. Oh, let's be honest. The Galaxy have displaced themselves. They've made some ridiculous decisions over the last two years. And then made sure to uh, double down on it by giving those responsible big raises and long extensions. Chris Klein. Chris Klein. Chris Klein today. Chris Klein tomorrow. Chris Klein forever. That seems to be the LA Galaxy motto. Uh, one last piece of news that I want to talk about. I guess, I guess we could get to more if this doesn't take very much time. But I, I disagree with that statement. <laughs> the last piece of news that we're going to talk about tonight uh, is off the field. The New York Red Bull supporters group known as the Garden State Ultras is... In, in some way, no more. They've lost their sanctioning from the Red Bulls team. They will no longer get supporters group privileges, banners, TIFOs, um, the ability to organize their own uh, section during road trips. Um, apparently, the, the team cited uh, a, a long list of infractions or at least a long list of categories of infractions. Um, my impression as someone who's not in the New Jersey supporters scene, uh, my impression of the garden state ultras is this is a long time coming. Uh, I don't like seeing any supporters group, any group of diehard fans 
um, being told, no, you can't do that anymore. But this is a group that uh, seems to have either condoned or uh, protected somebody who threw a flare off the upper deck of RFK Stadium um, onto a tent with people in it below during the the last game at RFK. This is a group that um, I'm pretty sure was involved in the sandwich board uh, fiasco during NYCFC's first uh, year in the league. This is not a group of supporters so much as it's a group of hooligan cosplay enthusiasts. And I, you know what, I'm going to sleep just fine tonight knowing that they are no longer sanctioned as a body. I mean, you can't throw fire off of a top deck onto a place where there are other people. You just can't do it. And so... Well, and yeah. is, I, I will say, we don't know 100% sure, because I, if I'm not mistaken, the no one's seen the letters saying telling the, uh, that group that they're out. Um, but their own, their own. You can't allegedly what, throw what, fire. Yeah, that their their statement said that they were given an unspecific, a non-specific list of um, violations, etc. So we don't know for sure that that was them with the flare. But they do have a reputation of definitely breaking the uh, the various rules that are placed on supporters groups, and in some cases, those rules are. Uh, quite a bit much. Um, in some cases, MLS's reaction towards supporters groups has been more like we had the same hooligan problem in the seventies and eighties that England did, which we never did. Um, so that there are times where the league overreaches, but I feel like if you're involved in, if your group is consistently involved in fights with opposing fans, um, with potential, uh, potentially being, uh, throwing a flare at, at anyone, uh, or off of any deck towards anything for any reason. Um, these are the things that just can't fly. Um, and it does suck that a supporters group has to be told, like, you you can't organize as a supporters group anymore. You're not going to get um, – we're not going to sell you block tickets. We're not going to give you a uh, capo stand or whatever you'd like to call it. Um, but sometimes, I mean, you know, to get those things, you have to act a certain way. Um, you have to have at least some respect for what's going on around you. It can't just be you doing whatever you want. That's the kind of thing you're supposed to grow out of as you stop being a child. Um, and to be clear, there, there are no individual bands associated with, yeah, the, with this. Every single member of the Garden State Ultras is still allowed to come in and even buy a supporters group ticket which, through one of their other which could mean that, that no one has been identified as specifically culpable and they've just decided right. that the whole group uh, the, is generally we, not great. Um, yeah, and that's why my assumption is that they have um, protected or, or refused to identify whoever it was that, that threw the flare from the upper deck be, at RFK. We're, be, we're assuming that, that, that that is the proximate right, cause of this Right, and it could well be decision. that they were involved in some other incident where they're not putting anyone's name forward. And that's the, the right. incident that triggered it. Um, it's, it's hard to say exactly what went wrong uh, at this point, but we can say that all three of us have heard some pretty bad things about that group. And if they're causing, you know, games to be unsafe for other supporters, then yeah, your, your, your groups, 
uh, fervor doesn't allow you to chase everybody else out of the stadium. You're not the only group that gets to come to games. Um, yeah, your, this your group's activities can't your group's activities can't infringe on other people's enjoyment of the game. Right. This isn't a YSA issue either. This isn't a right. chant that some families with young kids <laughs> find inappropriate. This is literally throwing fire on people. This is danger. Um, yeah. Physical harm potentially to other users of the stadium. That's not okay. And to be clear, YSA is a stupid chant and we shouldn't have it, but I'm not going to call for anyone to be banned for it. Yeah. I've always felt that that chant was just, it it shouldn't happen because it's dumb. Yeah. It's dumb. Not, that's the only, there's no reason to ban it. It's offensive. Dumb. Yeah, I thought it was ridiculous that the league decided that that was the chant to crack down on. Whereas we have we have other chants that are other chants that are specifically exclusionary to to groups, and those chants aren't cracked down upon yet um, because it's in another language. I guess uh, MLS feels like they can kind of glide past it and be like, "Oh, that's not a I don't know what you're talking about," but. uh, a chant that was in English that was as blunt as can be, but it, but again, didn't single out any specific group. Um, it was just dumb as bricks. It was the only problem I had with that chant. It was just, oh, this yeah. is a dumb chant. Um, I hope that my team doesn't do it because it's dumb. Um, and to DC United fans' credits, uh, credit, they we didn't. never did. Yeah, yeah, it was not a chant that ever caught on here because it was too stupid. Uh, and other other teams had dumb fans that did it. Um, MLS chased it out because heaven forbid. Um, there is some PG, it's PG 13 language. Um, but in yeah. any case, um, language, uh, a chant like that, uh, if that is being banned, then being a group that can't be relied upon to, uh, respect the safety of the other people attending games, then that's gotta be something. So good riddance, I guess. Yeah. Unfor- I mean, unfortunately I- I'm saying it. You know, if it were another fan, if it were a supporters group of another team, if it weren't the Red Bulls, I would feel the same way because you right. can't you can't endanger other people at the stadium. Period, regardless of whether you're Red Bulls fans or DC United fans or fans of anyone else. Um, and MLS has run into some problems with some other groups. The um, 1906 Ultras in San Jose uh, mm-hmm. have had a long uh, and well earned reputation for getting into fights way too often. Um, and you've got to deal with those those groups. If a group is just going around getting into fights and, and or throwing things, then, yeah, okay, you can't have it. Um, if a group is just chanting stupidly, then you've got to be like, well, these guys are dumb, period. Um, right, these guys are chanting, dumb. Let's try not to sit families yeah. around. Like, that's yeah. that's the appropriate course of action. If, if supporters I'm, I'm, are doing something that's not family-friendly, then you put the families in a different part of the stadium. If supporters right. are doing something that endangers the people around them, you remove their sanction. You don't let them do that. Yeah. Like there, there's behavior that you allow and you work around and there's behavior you don't. And the Garden State Ultras cross the line. And and that's it. Sorry, guys. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, that's not the best tone to end the show on, but it's the tone you go to arm. You go to war with the tone that you have, not the tone that you want. And well, let's not talk about war. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us at patreon.com slash filibuster. If you feel like supporting us financially, 
Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at Black and Red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, the Internet Archive, and wherever else you can find podcasts. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the single biggest thing you can do for us. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. That was a throwback.